Today on Sports Card Investor, we're bringing on the GOAT, Dr. James Beckett, the great godfather of the sports card hobby. My name is Jeff Wilson. By day, I invest in tech companies. And at night, I invest in sports cards. Join me on my journey to profit from the hobby we all love. investors and welcome to another episode and we've got a great interview for you today we are bringing out the greatest of all time the goat the royalty the king the godfather whatever you want to call him dr james beckett is all of that and more as you know, he is the original founder of Beckett Media. He created the price guide for the sports card world and the monthly magazine that was that was every kid's dream, including mine, to rush to the mailbox and get that out and see how your price card your how your cards changed in price since the last time that was issued. I was a loyal subscriber and reader to his magazine back in the late 1980s, early 1990s when I was in a sports car as a kid. And it is an honor to be able to talk to him today to get his perspective about everything we're seeing right now in the hobby, how the hobby has has changed. And, and if, if what we see right now, if there's any lessons we can learn from previous periods where the hobby was hot, that should apply for today. This was an interview that I did during the virtual sports card con. So some of you may have seen it there, but I wanted to pull it out and replay it today because it is well with your time. And if you didn't catch the full interview or even if you wanna watch it again, it is worth your time to get Dr. James Beckett's perspective. So without further ado, please welcome the GOAT, Dr. James Beckett. Jim, welcome to Sports Card Investor and the virtual sports card con. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Jeff, glad to be here. It's an absolute honor to have you here. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've told my audience before that I used to, I grew up as a subscriber of Beckett Price Guides, and it was always my favorite moment of the month when I got to run out to the mailbox and get that Beckett Price Guide out of it. And so it's, it's really an honor to get to talk to you here once again. Well, I'm, I'm uh, likewise. I'm honored to be on your show and uh, uh, keep up the good work. I'm a, I'm a loyal and faithful subscriber to Sports Card Investors. Well, I appreciate that. And so uh, I guess along those lines then, obviously I, I know you're very in tune with the hobby and everything that's happening. Gosh, what do you make of these last few months? I mean, it, we sports paused, but then the hobby, it seems like, and you've got a lot more perspective on this than I do historically, it seems like the hobby has never been hotter. Well, the hobby is an industry now, and it's, it's basically much broader than what we think. And the headlines are being made by some glamour cards, and that's, and that's been amazing and, and, and kind of hard to explain some of those increases. Uh, but the hobby, the industry broadly is doing well. So it's not just the glamour cards that you uh, advise on and, and, uh, and, I and and make the Wall Street Journal and all that. It's 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 pretty much everything, and that's the sign of if it was only the glamour cards, that wouldn't be as healthy as kind of an across the board interest that's up everywhere. 
all the sports pretty much because none of the sports are playing and that's unprecedented there's always been sports in season in fact if i listen uh you know you some of your earlier your earliest episodes from last fall uh one of your major thrusts was uh that uh, you know not investment timing per se but the, the the seasonality of the sport and the opportunities in investing whether you're at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, before the playoffs, after the playoffs, anticipatory. But that's all out the window now because we've just proven in this, in this world, this global experiment, that, that people just like collecting cards regardless of what's going on in the sport. Yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating. I, I will be, I'll be completely honest. When sports first paused back in the early part of March, my first thought to myself was, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I, I was worried. I was worried uh, as someone who owns uh, many, many, you know, investment grade sports cards and as someone who is running a YouTube channel and a business within the sports card hobby, I became worried. And the second half of March, you know, we did see a, a significant decline, but then all of a sudden April happened and everything roared up to almost unprecedented levels. And that continued through May and that continued really through the last few months as well. Uh, and, and here we are now finally on, you know, we've got sports again, right? And we got games actually being played on TV. And so where do we go from here? It's gonna be fascinating. I, I, I personally remain very, very bullish uh, on the hobby overall and, and how I think cards will continue to escalate in value and the hobby will continue to become more popular, but, but you've got the historical perspective on this. You obviously lived through previous boom period uh, and some dark periods for the hobby as well. How do you compare what is going on today with what went on in kind of that famed late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, junk wax era? Well, I was publishing information that helped people kind of know what to, what to buy, what to collect. And you're publishing information of you know, what to buy, what to collect, what to invest in. And so that's, there's some similarity there. But one rule is that nothing goes straight up. And so if, and the, the ironic thing is in my business, in your business, if cards had been going straight up in a linear fashion, uh, my price guides would not have been meaningful. They would have been outdated immediately. Your show of what to buy or which ones to buy, it wouldn't matter because everything was going up. So the rule of the hobby is that, well, except it's, it's almost everything's hot at the same time now, but some things are hotter than others. And so to think that there's not gonna be some ebb and flow and, um, and plateaus and maybe even, uh, you know, things that go down for a little while that's what even a healthy market. That's that's normal, and that's always happened. It's been, it's been like what is a sigmoid curve? You know, kind of like the standard entrepreneurial thing, where something it dips for a little while, then it goes up, and then it levels off, and then you 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 see the flow, and you're not you're not upset about it. It's a natural thing that things don't just keep going up and up and up and up forever. And that's why they need to listen to your podcast because <laughs> some things are going to be better than others. And I'm trying to do a podcast that gives people some principles for how to know uh, how to, how to really, and I think I'm trying to straddle 
and and you are even so even though you don't say it you're you, you want people to enjoy the collecting aspect and the investing aspect and i do too but and even though people say well i'm not an investor well they don't want to lose money <laughs> they don't want to buy cards and have them be worth a lot less so um, we're in unprecedented times but they will not continue will not be it'll it, it can't be this double digit increase every month <laughs> so there've got to be some correction and if it's a if it's a gentle correction that's a good thing yeah i mean i agree with you that the the heat behind the hobby right now this can obviously not continue forever if it did you know, a, a box of uh, a blaster box of prison basketball would be worth a million bucks. And I kind of half the time I feel like we, we might already be there. Um, but but what gives me optimism, at least about the next few years and, and prices continuing to escalate, investment opportunities continuing to be there are there is still still a consistent flood of new people and new money coming into the hobby. Uh, every single day. I see it with the growth of my YouTube, with the growth of my membership program. I mean, new people and a lot of these people are like, oh, I just got back into this a few months ago. So there's still every single month, it's growing and growing and growing. And also the other thing that I feel that I've noticed is that we're getting some real big dollars in the hobby. You're getting a little bit of institutional investment attention. You're certainly getting attention from some higher net worth individuals who are seeing this as as a little bit of an alternative investment vehicle or maybe simply just a way for them to collect and, and be able to buy you know some very prestigious cards but i think there's enough runway on that where i think we've got it and of course no one can predict the future but my but i think that we've got at least a few more years where we're going to see somewhat steady escalation before we maybe see a softening um, and again that's just my guess i have no idea um, do you think my hypothesis is reasonable or do you think a correction could be in store prior to that? Uh, I mean, I hate to tell you that there, there will be a correction, you know, it's just, it, there just will be. So is it a soft correction or a hard correction? You know, what ha this is not that much different from the late eighties, early nineties. There was a huge influx. I mean, people want to blame the card companies for overproducing in the, in the junk wax, so-called junk wax era, maximum, uh, distribution. They were printing to demand. They were printing what people asked for and people were putting them away. So, so uh, you know, that it's not unlike that. And so there, there will be a correction. The, a correction is good. A crash is not. And so I don't want things to be, and I'm not looking for, so, so I hope there are many corrections over the next 50 years. You know, where it's two steps up and one step back and then another two steps up and one step back. It's it's going to be herky jerky. It's not it's not programmatic. When when basketball gets overheated, it makes football look cheap and then people go over to football. And then when football looks expensive, they go over to hockey or baseball or and so there are many, many choices. Yeah, and that's and it's interesting you mentioned that because actually that seems to be exactly what's happened over the last thirty days. The football football cards have really started to take off in price. Basketball has been super hot the last few months. Now you've got a hot period. It seems like we're in right now with football, with the es escalation of, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those types of players' card prices. And so you're right, it is a bit cyclical in terms of that. Um, 
You know, the one thing that strikes me, and I, obviously, uh, you know, I don't have the same historical perspective you do on this, but the thing that strikes me that that gives me more comfort over the, uh, you know, the the junk wax era, the late 80s and early 90s, is you were right that the manufacturers were printing to meet the demands back in the late 80s and early 90s. I feel right now like the manufacturers, or at least Panini when it comes to basketball product, is not printing to meet the demand because otherwise you would see an ample supply of those cards every time you walked into a Walmart store. And I can tell you, I have gone looking for retail versions of basketball cards no fewer than 50 times over the course of the last four or five months. And I have never once, never once out of probably 50 attempts found uh, you know, Prism or Optic or Mosaic in stock at a Walmart or Target store that I've gone into. There's a reason for that, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, there's many conspiracy theories about what what happens to that uh, that that product, why it doesn't make it to the shelves. But uh, let me just say this: that there's a, a, of the the company in the industry that has the most Beckett publication alums of of people that used to work for me is Panini, and one of the things that our company did when we were riding this wave throughout that period you're talking about is were we printing magazines to demand? Not really, but that doesn't mean we didn't know or think what the demand was. We would assess what we thought the demand was and back off a little bit. And I think that's what Panini's doing. They're printing, and you can tell by the ratios in the, in the, uh, in the you know, you can reverse engineer some production quantities and you can see there's a whole lot more now than there were. I mean, each year they've gone up, but each year, to your point, I think they backed off a little bit, and I'm not taking any credit for that. It's just that once you go, once once the once the supply exceeds the demand, you've got a problem. Yeah, you do have a problem. Once supply, I agree that, and that's what that's what happened in the early '90s, and that's what really caused you know a big. That's when you get the crash, as opposed to the correction, because people were set were putting things back. They weren't opening it. You know, thank you, case breakers, who are breaking this product down, getting it in the hands of people to where they can enjoy their team or their player. Um, that's turning it into a hobby instead of the commodity of, of I've got these uh, boxes put away that are going to be, or cases back, back for, you know, 87 or 88 or 89 tops cards that are, that are cases put away for somebody's, uh, uh, get rich, you know, in a few decades. Well, we fast forwarded and actually some of that junk wax is coming back if it's still in the wax. <laughs> some of it is. Uh, now, now the problem that everybody had back then, including myself, because by the way, I'm one of the ones who is guilty of that. I actually still have some unopened boxes from, of, uh, you know, baseball and, and uh, football from 1989, 1990, 1991. Of course, you know, none of this. In fact, a lot, in fact, some of those packs are on the wall behind me right now. Uh, that's, that's what makes up some of those packs back there. Um, but I picked the wrong sport. I mean, you know, if I, I don't know why I didn't pick 86 Fleer. I, I don't know why none of us did, you know, Dr. Beckett, we should have picked 86 Fleer. Oh man, that was, that was, that was apparently a little bit of a miss in retrospect. Well, I, I missed it too. I mean, I had a bunch of 86, 87 Fleer and, um, you know, it just, the problem with basketball in the eighties is it just it didn't have enough heft as a you know that that hobbyists in those days were still completists 
And so there, there just wasn't enough history. It, 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 was, it was like it was too easy to get all the basketball cards. It wasn't enough of a challenge. And there's, you got the, the, the top set and the FLIR set from the, you know, the 57, 58, 61, 62. But really, and then here's the star company sets that had, you know, detractors. And then FLIR comes along and they really produced, they may have produced more 86, 87 FLIR than they did 87, 88 FLIR which I don't know that that's been talked about or even 88, 89, those, mm -hmm. those. Uh, and now there's obviously not enough to go around when the prices have gone up, but, but that was very plentiful and it was sitting on card shops, uh, counters and not, not being purchased at 10 bucks a box things, crazy numbers. Now $10 box is now a hundred thousand dollar box. Is that incredible? Insane? We could only rewind the clock. We only had a time machine. Um, so basketball, you know, it's, it's funny because basketball back then, as you said, was you know the way way secondary to baseball, and maybe even way secondary to football as well. Here we are, and it feels like in the year 2020 that basketball has the most heat in the hobby. Um, do you expect basketball to, in many ways, be the the the, you know, the future of the hobby, the leading product in the hobby will be basketball products going forward. Or do you think that this is a little bit of a cyclical thing as well? And maybe we'll see, you know, baseball with a little bit of resurgence or that type of thing as time goes on. I think basketball has an advantage over the other sports. I, I'm not going to exactly predict the future, but this, their, their Disney bubble idea, they're the only sport that can really pull that off. Uh, and it's because there are, uh, you know, the, 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 the rosters are smaller, so it's more manageable. But that translates into cards, and especially in the way in your excellent podcast and your ecosystem, basketball is the easiest one to get a handle on. There are less players. There's a more well-defined, uh, not farm system, but you can see from, you know, everybody loves college basketball. I hope we'll still have college basketball, but, uh, and we'll have it at some, at some point, but it's it's the easiest sport to get up to speed and to have on kind of speed dial the cards you're looking for. Baseball, the prospect market is really, really tricky. Football, it's not a sure thing if you're a, a first-round quarterback that you're even going to make it. Basketball has uh, is where knowledge can really help you, and it's a body of knowledge that through listening to your podcast and others – People can get up to speed and catch up with the veteran collector. It's not the tortoise and the hare, but it's, you know, somebody can get back in the hobby and the easiest sport to get up to speed is basketball. And it's the most international. And so you got these international buyers that are, that it's just, it's crazy. So I think the basketball phenomenon is here to stay. And what about the kind of the upstarts in the sports card hobby in the U.S. Uh, in recent years of soccer? And, and, you know, we've seen also a crazy ascent of soccer card prices this year. Granted, they were starting from, from very low, uh, but this is a, a sport that got very little attention from the U.S. card market if you rewind a few years ago. And all of a sudden, here we are. What are your thoughts on where that goes? Well, Joe Davis isn't going to like this, but uh, I mean, I, I love, so I actually have a pretty strong soccer collection from over the years, but 
the problem with soccer is the opposite. It, it, the international is outstanding, unbelievable, wonderful. But the complications of the rosters, the team affiliations, the, the internationality, the lack of it being American, and, and, and most American fans knowing the very top tier, you know, the Maradona and Messi, and, but, but be, beyond the top 10 guys or so, there's, uh, it, it's hard to get up to speed in soccer. If you're a lifelong soccer fan and you've really followed all of European soccer and everything, all the World Cups, uh, those are the people who are doing really well. But the problem is you can't, if you had a soccer podcast, it, it's just, it, it would take a lot of episodes to bring people up to speed. There's just a yeah. lot of players, a lot of teams, a lot of, it's what you're trying to do. And I'm trying to do as well is make sense out of what can be a confusing hobby. Why does one player sell for another? It's not just points per game or touchdowns. There's, there's more to it. And it's not, uh, it's not directly proportional. It's not cause and effect, but there are some relationships that you're able to point out in your market movers that, that some of these guys seem to track with each other or emerge as their performance increases. And soccer, that's hard to track. There's, you know, you don't, you know the, the metrics are not as well known. You can look at goals and all that and championships and all that, but, but you've really got to be a student of the game to understand why a certain soccer player is internationally appreciated. Yeah, and I think there are, are many more people in the U.S. that are becoming that, but I agree the average sport fan in the U.S., there's still a big learning curve, uh, you know, for them to go up for sure. Um, all right, I want to I wrap up by asking you, first of all, about kind of reflecting back on all of your time, you know, with Beckett. And I know you obviously sold the company, sold the company a number of years ago, but you, you founded it and ran the company for many years and along the way were a pioneer in the sports card hobby, what, is, what was your favorite innovation or accomplishment uh, while you were uh, running Beckett? Uh, when you look back now, when I look back now, I mean, I, I mean I, I'd be interested to know what you think it is, but uh, we were pretty early adopters into the dot-com world. But I really feel like I messed up because I was more defensively doing that than than being uh, aggressively, more offensively entrepreneurial. I wasn't willing to bet the farm. I, I didn't cannibalize my own business. So that's one on the negative side. On the positive side, it, I'd be hard pressed to say, well, I, I was actually defensive and late on, on grading. BGS has been an amazing success and I was probably slower. I was probably the drag on that decision because I think the guys were ready to do it a couple of years before I was. But the single uh, decision that was made that made me, that sounds crass to say it made me the most money, but what really made a difference in the success of our company and the, and the, the longevity of our company was a decision I made in 88 to not add football to the baseball magazine. 99 people out of 100 said, hey, football's cooking you know, you ought to add, you've got a monthly magazine. It's, it's really growing. It's got a big circulation. You should add football in there. And, and 99 of hundred said that it's going to be great. We're going to add football in there. You're going to, you're going to just have uh, so many more people. And I said, no, I'm starting a football magazine. 
And those 99 people said, well, you can't do that. It's, it won't sell. There's not enough interest in just football, you know, but a lot of the baseball players will pick up and they'll get it. And maybe that'll, and I, I stood against the crowd and that was one of the very best decisions I ever made. And it's, it's glossed over now, but looking back, I wouldn't have had the breadth of the company and being able to hire specialists if I hadn't had these weekly deadlines with a different sport each week and be able to hire these great price guide guys that, I mean, I don't know if on your team, but you know, they're the same guy that's an expert on football is not necessarily an expert on hockey or basketball or baseball. And so that was a big decision that's been glossed over. And it's not that I'm proud of it. It just was a right decision that really was really, really right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And for everyone out there who would like to hear more from Dr. Beckett, he has an awesome podcast, Dr. James Beckett's Sports Card Insights. It's a great podcast. I've had the honor of appearing on it a couple of times, and I'm going to be appearing on it again soon. Um, And uh, what I'm so impressed with your podcast, there's a new episode every single day. These are short episodes, so they're very consumable, which a lot of people like. I enjoy as well because I can I can catch them even during a short commute. Um, but uh, tell me tell me a little more about the podcast and, and where you're taking that, what listeners can look forward to. When I look at other podcasts, uh, I see so many other excellent people. And you're, you're doing a fabulous job. So I, I, I had to try to find a category where I could come in first. <laughs> so I'm first in greatest frequency. I have a daily podcast and I'm really enjoying that. So it's, it's, uh, it's episodic. It's not linear, which is against my personality. I'm not narrating a, a story in order. I'm doing random topics. I'm doing random. Well, actually, they're not random. They're, they're purposeful. But I'll do different topics. And most of them are intended to be evergreen and timeless. And so if people want to listen to your episode from last January, I think they'd get a lot of value. It's not wiped out because we had COVID. You had some really interesting things to say, and we went back and forth on some things, and we'll do that in the future. So that's my hope is that, that I can create an oral history and an oral kind of recorded legacy with, uh, you know, I've done tributes to some of the icons of the industry that have passed away. Uh, and I've interviewed some some fabulous people, old and young, and I'm having a great time. So I told my wife, thousand episodes. That's about four years. And uh, Jeff, I, your name is going to be on several. So thank you for for having me. And I'm looking forward to having you on a on a regular basis because you're 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 uh, you're doing some great work. Well, it's truly an honor. I really appreciate it. Everybody go out there right now and go subscribe to Dr. James Beckett's Sports Card Insights on your favorite podcast app. And uh, Jim, thank you so much for joining Sports Card Investor in the virtual 2020. Thanks, Jeff. Keep up the good work and I'll keep listening. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. James Beckett. It was once again an honor to be able to interview him and have him on the show. It's awesome to have him. And uh, I hope you guys also get a chance to check out my Market Movers data tool. If you haven't done that already, we are still offering the great promo code that we were offering during the virtual, which is promo code virtual for 20% off your first payment of Market Movers, whether that's annual or whether that's monthly. Your choice, get 20% off your first payment 
Find out more by going to sportscardinvestor.com and clicking on Market Movers in the main menu bar. Everybody, hope you have a great rest of your day. I'll see you back again in a few days with my next episode.